We are going to be in verses 13 through 16, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. Sermon title is A Better Country. I know you will agree with me when I say America is the best country on the face of the planet. It is not a perfect country, but still it is by far the best country of all the countries here on earth. Now with that being said, I think we also would all agree that we have seen a decline in our nation. And there's reasons for that, but nevertheless, it is a great country. Now last year our president uh, ran with the campaign slogan of Make America Great Again. And there's a lot of ideas. How do you make America great again? For some, it's we've got to lower taxes. For some, it's we've got to have stricter gun laws. For others, it's we need to make football players stand for the national anthem. And the list goes on and on. How do we make America great again? Well, folks, there is only one. Only one who can make America great again, and that one is Jesus Christ. We all strive to make this country a better country, but Scripture tells us that the better country is, in fact, not this side of eternity. The better country is to come. We can strive as we ought to to improve our earthly country, but the better country is still a ways off, and that better country is what we strive for. And the more we strive for that better country, the more we seek that heavenly country that is to come, the more we do that, consequently we will see this earthly country become even better than it already is. In fact, the Scripture tells us as we continually anticipate that better place that God has promised in Christ, we will see our lives transformed and in turn the nation in which we live will also be transformed. We must continually anticipate that better place that God has promised us in Christ Jesus. And as we do, our lives change. And our nation around us will change as well. Let me invite you to stand if you're able this morning. I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 11 starting at verse 13. And the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this, All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from afar and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray together. Father God, we come into your presence now. We come thankfully, God, grateful to be in this nation, in this country, where we can assemble today in a house of worship without fear of government oppression. We can come here today and express our worship to you and enjoy the freedom that the law allows us to do. Father, we do pray for our country. We pray for the United States of America. We pray for its greatness. But Father, I pray that we as Christians would understand we must strive for that better country, that 
heavenly country that awaits us. And Lord, as we make that our ambition, Father, we know in turn, as you change us and transform us as individuals, we will see our nation become the nation that it could be as we seek to do your perfect will. Father, bless the preaching of your word. I pray our ears are open to the truth. I pray our hearts are open and ready to receive your message. Father, I pray for the salvation of all of those who will be hearing this message. And Father, I pray for the Christians to be strengthened and encouraged and exhorted to pursue, as our ancestors did, pursue that heavenly country that you have promised. And God, you are faithful. Lord, we ask for your spirit to move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The book of Hebrews, as we have read from here today, is an anonymous letter. That means we don't know who wrote it. There's a lot of speculation. Was it the Apostle Paul? Was it one of the other apostles? We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we do know the theme of the letter. The author wrote to challenge Jewish Christians not to revert back to Judaism. Now, the earliest Christians were Jews, as the apostles were, as, as Paul was, and they were those who were raised in the Old Testament laws to follow all of the old regulations and the rituals, but yet they had heard the gospel message. They had heard that Jesus was the Messiah, that he had died on the cross for sins, and that he had risen again, and that he is coming back one day, and they had heard the gospel message, and they by faith had accepted Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Nevertheless, there were temptations, and, and there were trials, and there was oppression from the outside, and and oftentimes when we are faced with difficulties, our default is to go back to that with which we are most comfortable. Our default is to go back to the, to the familiar. And for these Jewish Christians, as they faced persecution, they were tempted to go back to the old ways. And the author was writing to encourage them and challenge them, don't go back. Don't go back. And he presents before them two options in chapter 10, verse 39. He says, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Two options go back, and that leads to destruction. Or persevere onwards through faith in Christ Jesus, and that leads to the preservation of the soul. And then on that subject of faith, he then writes chapter 11, which we are in today. And chapter 11 has been called the Hall of Faith because it lists several Old Testament saints and it lists them as examples. Now, as we read the Old Testament, we read the lives of these, of these men and women before us, we see they were not perfect individuals. They made a lot of mistakes along the way. Yet, there was something they had that you and I would do well to emulate, and that is their faith. You see, they did not have perfect faithfulness. Yet they had. They had a persevering faith. 
And that, brothers and sisters, is what we are called to follow. That is what we are called to emulate. That is what the author holds up for us, to his audience and to us, as examples. Be like these men and women. Be like them who came before you in the faith. Persevere to the end. And if we are to persevere and find and seek that better country that God has prepared for us, and if we are to seek to see this nation of the United States become a better country, we must have something. That something is faith. Faith in Jesus is required. And by faith we mean trusting in Him. Trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. We've just talked about all of those doctrines in the last several weeks. By faith, we are talking about justifying faith and sanctifying faith. Justifying, being saved by God. Sanctifying, being sustained by God. And both of these are by God's grace. We are saved by His grace. We are sustained by His grace. Therefore, we will and must persevere by His grace. And the author of Hebrews says that is the evidence of a true Christian. That is the sign of a true conversion, one who perseveres in their faith. Not that one who is sinless and perfect because that is impossible. It is one who continually trusts in Christ Jesus. And that is what we are called to do. Faith in Jesus is required. Now what kind of faith are we talking about? We are talking about, first of all, a faith that lasts. Verse 13 says, all these, talking about all of the, 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 the heroes of the faith that he has just listed and those whom he will write about later. He says, all of these examples, they died, but yet they died in faith. That means they were faithful to the end. They were not like those who, a couple months from now, will make New Year's resolutions, and with the best of intentions, they start out on a program to, to lose weight or to exercise more or to be happier or to, to be better uh, with their budgets. They, they start out with well intentions, but eventually they fizzle out. He says, don't be like that. Be like these who died in faith. They died with faith, a faith that lasts. But also they had a faith that lacks. That lacks. Lacks what? We, we might ask the question. Verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. Now that doesn't sound like it's very motivational, does it? He's writing to these Jewish Christians that were being persecuted and tempted to go backwards. And he says, don't go backwards. Keep pressing forwards. Be like those who came before you. They died without ever receiving what was promised to them. And we're like, wow, that doesn't sound very uh, encouraging to me. But yet, that is the kind of faith they had. They didn't seek immediate gratification because that is not, that's not available this side of eternity. True satisfaction is in the life that is to come. So they had a faith that lacks. They, they sacrificed temporary earthly pleasures because they longed for something more. A faith that longs. Willing to sacrifice worldly pleasure for something more. A faith that longs. Verse 13 goes on to say, a faith that longs is one that is seeing God's promise. They were those who were seeing God's promise. Verse 13, they died without receiving the promises, but here's what they did have. 
on the positive, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. They saw from afar. They had a far-sighted faith, just like my left eye far-sighted. They saw down the road. They saw what God had promised and what was to come later. And they saw that from a distance. A seeing face. Seeing God's promise. But yet, also we have to be seizing God's promise. They saw the promises and they welcomed them from afar. They gave them an embrace. As we see these videos and these photos of soldiers returning, sometimes with their family not even knowing that they have returned. And they surprise them in that moment when their loved ones, their their spouses or their children see them from afar. And then they run to them, arms wide open, and embrace them and and hold them and squeeze them tightly. I I get choked up even just talking about it. That's what we are as Christians. We are seeing God's promises from a distance and we welcome them. We embrace them. We make them our own. God, you have promised me something in Christ Jesus. You have promised me if I put my faith in Jesus and turn from my sin, you have promised me forgiveness of sins. You have promised me eternal life. And God, I make that my own. I seize those promises. It's a faith that longs. It longs for something. It longs for what God has promised. And we seize them. But we also see these heroes speaking God's promise. Because he says they died without receiving the promises, but having seen them, welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed, having confessed, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Confess means to agree with God. They agreed with God's perspective. And what was God's perspective? They were aliens. They were strangers. They were exiles. Strangers, that's the that's position of a foreigner. Someone who doesn't belong there. Somebody who's out of place. Exiles, sojourners, those who travel, those who, who drift, those who really aren't from there, but yet they are living there and they are, and they are moving around and they are living somewhere in which they really cannot call home. That's what we are called to be as Christians. We are called to be in this world, but not of this world. Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is where? As Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. So that means as citizens of heaven, we are living in this earth as strangers and exiles. We are like pilgrims. This earth as it is now constituted is not our home. We are foreigners here. And as such, we, we look different. We act different. We talk different. We think different. Because, brothers and sisters, we are supposed to be different. We're not supposed to blend into the culture. We're supposed to stand out and shine the light of Jesus in this culture. We need to be speaking this reality. We confess with God. We agree with God. We're not from here. We're from heaven. And as such, we need to be seeking God's promise. Because verse 14 says about those who, who confess these things, he says, for those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country. What does it mean to be seeking a country? That means this country that we now live in is, is really it's not ours. Our country is in heaven. We have a forward-looking faith. 
If you have a forward-looking faith, that ought to change the way you live now. A forward-looking faith has moral and ethical implications. As we are looking for that heavenly country, and we are living as if we don't belong here, but we belong in heaven, as we live that way, we will be distinct. We will be different. We will be a people that seek, a people that search, a people that strives for holiness. Again, we will look and live differently. Seeking God's promise means we have a holy pursuit. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all these things that that we need will be added to us. Our top pursuit, our main ambition is always to seek the kingdom of God and not the things of this world. If you are pursuing the things of this world, you'll be sorely disappointed. If you are seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness, the Lord will take care of everything that you need. As we sing, indeed, God has shed His grace on America. And we are right to recognize and support and give honor to our country and to pledge allegiance to our country. But at the end of the day, we pledge allegiance not ultimately to the United States. We pledge allegiance to heaven. Pledge allegiance to God. And so as far as our country seeks to do the will of God, we we pledge allegiance to our country. But ultimately our allegiance, our, our total and ultimate overarching allegiance is to God and that country called heaven. But yet as believers earnestly pursue the goal of the kingdom, our lives change. And then we begin to change the lives of our families, our homes. We then in turn begin to change the lives of our churches and our communities. We then in turn begin to change the lives of our states and then ultimately our nation is transformed. We need revival. Revival starts here. Revival starts in you. Revival then spreads to those in your circle. Revival then begins to expand outward. We want to see America great again. This, this, this country needs Jesus. This country needs Jesus because you need Jesus. And as you recognize that and you long for heaven, you will begin to seize God's promises and you will begin to seek God's kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But to see America improve and become a better country this side of glory, faith in Jesus is required. Then we might ask the question, is this pursuit of holy living, is this pursuit worth the cost? Because it will cost you something. You've got to die to self and your own desires and your own ambitions. You've got to crucify that and then live for, for God and live for God's glory. Is it worth the cost? The writer of Hebrews says faith in Jesus is rewarded. It's rewarded. It is worth the cost. But to see that reward, we see first of all human responsibility. Yes, salvation is by God's grace. Our perseverance is by God's grace. But yet, we will persevere. We must, as Christians, persevere to see the reward. There is a human responsibility to that. Our continued obedience to the gospel call we're called to repent 
and believe in Christ, that's in the present tense. That means we keep on repenting. We keep on trusting in Jesus. It's not just a one-time thing and say, all right, I'm done. Now I can just live however I want. It doesn't matter. That's not biblical. Our human responsibility. And the writer presents it in two ways. First of all, he shows there's an opportunity to retreat. To retreat, verse 15, indeed, if they... Who? He's talking about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those who came before us. Indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, if Abraham had been thinking about how, how good he had it, living in the, in the land of the Chaldees, if, if, if Isaac or Jacob had thought about, you know, I want to go back to, I'm going to, go back to Aram where, where our ancestors reside now. They're doing pretty well for themselves there. If they had been thinking of that place from which they had went out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they thought about how, how, how good things used to be back there, I'm going to go back there because things were better there. He said if they had thought that way, they could have gone back that way. What does that mean for his audience? He's writing to those Jewish Christians who were tempted to go back to Judaism and to give up on this Jesus thing. And he says, if you think that way, you've got that opportunity. You can go back if you think that way. What does it mean for us, this opportunity to retreat? If you think about your former life before Christ, and if you think about it in terms of, of the good old days, and say, you know what, before I was a Christian... I used, to, I used to cuss like a sailor. I used, to, I used to, to drink like a fish. You know, I used to party. I was wilder than a buck. But now I'm saved. <laughs> now I'm a Christian. You know, if you, if you think that way, that think that life was so much more fun and exciting and exotic before Christ, if you think that way, Scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you meditate and dwell with that thought process, you've got an opportunity to retreat and you can shrink back if that's, if that's what you want. But remember what the author said in chapter 10, verse 39, those who shrink back to what? Destruction. You can go back. There's an opportunity to go back and retreat. But understand, if you do, you're going to hell. If you give up on Jesus to go back pursuing the world and that becomes your ambition there's no hope for you. You can pursue temporary pleasure all you want, but in the end, it's destruction. There's an opportunity to retreat. Or, there's the opportunity to rejoice. Verse 16 goes on to say, he says, if they had been thinking about that country from which they went out, they could have gone back, but as it is, they desire. They, they desire what? A better country that is and he clarifies it for us if we're confused a heavenly one they desired something better I could go back and yes that might be fun but I desire something better than that something this world cannot offer something this world does not afford I'm talking about heaven I desire heaven and I desire to rejoice in the presence of my God a better country as Christians, we must continually choose our convictions over our comforts. It's not about you and what you want. It's about what God desires. That is in your best interest. 
We must compare final destinations. One of two places, folks. Either eternity, suffering, and hell, or eternity in the glory of God. That's the opportunity that you have. You can retreat if you want. It's not going to end well. Or you can rejoice seeing those promises from afar and welcoming them, making them your own. That opportunity is yours. And if you choose the latter, if you choose heaven, we see the heavenly result in verse 16. God's response to those Christians who persevere in the faith, who, who, who press on in the faith. We see God's response in verse 16. Therefore, remember what therefore is therefore. For those who desire a better country, a heavenly one, therefore, because of that desire for heaven, therefore what? We see two things listed here. First of all, God's covenant loyalty. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. There's no reason for God to be ashamed to be called their God. Who's they? They who desire a heavenly country. He's not, to be, uh, he's not ashamed to be called their God, which means by implication, there are those who God is ashamed to be called their God. He's my God, yet I love the world more than I do Christ. God is ashamed to be called their God. But there are those who desire heaven, and that desire for heaven radically transforms them here on earth. God is not ashamed. God pledges His covenant loyalty. God binds Himself to them by His oath. And brothers and sisters, God is faithful. God cannot deny Himself. And if God has promised that He has saved you in Christ Jesus, God has promised to persevere you in Christ Jesus, God cannot and will not break His word. He pledges covenant loyalty to those who persevere. Those who persevere show the evidence that God is loyal to them. And He's not ashamed to be called their God. God's covenant loyalty is bound to the Christian here on earth. But ultimately we see God's covenant locality. He's not, to be, he's not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared, already done, past tense. He has prepared a city for them. They are longing for a city. They are longing for a country. And God's already prepared it. And God's promised it. And they can see it from afar. And they welcome it from afar because God has already promised it. And when God promises it, it's good as done. God's promised to prepare a place for you and it's already done because He's promised it. That place, what is that place? John 14, 1-3, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Those who have put their faith in Jesus, Jesus said, I go before you to prepare a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't put all your eggs in this earthly basket. I'm preparing a place for you. 
a, a heavenly locality, a place where Scripture says is a beautiful place. We read of the descriptions of heaven. It's a beautiful place. It's a better place. It's a place where our, our loved ones who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, they have already gone there. It's a place where there's no more sin, no more effects of sin, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartbreak, no more depression, no more cancer, no more Alzheimer's. All these things are gone. That's our covenant locality. That's waiting on you. That's waiting on everyone who will receive God's promises from afar and not put so much stock in this earth and pursue the things of heaven because it's a better country. It's a better place because God is there. Because Christ is there. I will dwell with them and and they will be my people and I will be their God, he says. That's our covenant locality that's waiting on us, that, that heavenly rest. It's waiting on you and I. So what does that mean? It means we must continually anticipate that better place that God has promised in Christ. We cannot place full hope in our current reality. You can't place your full hope in this government. You can't place your full hope and your ambitions. We cannot hold tightly to this present world. Why? We're not destined to live in this current reality forever. That's a situation our brothers and sisters in Texas came to realize last Sunday. As they were gathered in a room much like this, doing much what we have been doing today, and they found out by the hands of an evil individual that this world as it currently exists is not our home. We cannot hold so tightly to what is not truly ours. We hold to those promises of God. We stand on those promises of God. We anticipate that future that God has promised you know, I love to travel. I love to go see new things. This wonderful, beautiful country of ours to go and experience new, new locations. But I always enjoy coming home. It gets a point in your, in your time away where you start to get homesick. As Christians, that should always be our mindset. That we are here and we are pursuing God, and we are, we, are, we are desiring to be useful to God. God has you here right now as a Christian because there is something God desires to do in and through you. And when that time is up, God will call you home. But in the meantime, you are here to serve God. You are here to reach the lost. You're here to make disciples. You're here to, to, to serve those in need and, and to be Christ, those around you. You're here as long as God wants you to be here. But in the back of your mind and in your heart, there should be a constant sense of homesickness, desiring that country. The song Beulah Land encapsulates that very well. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. 
No sad goodbyes will there be spoken, for time won't matter anymore. I'm looking now across the river where my faith will end in sight. There's just a few more days to labor. Then I will take my heavenly flight. Beulah land, I'm longing for you, and someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. Brothers and sisters, we are called to persevere. Persevere until you reach that place. We want to make America great again. We want America to be a better country. Let's desire that even better country, that heavenly one. That'll make America great again. If you and I as Christians pursue heaven and make that our goal and our ambition to bring as many along with us as we can, that path is often difficult. Yet it is worth it all. Persevere. Don't shrink back. Keep pressing on. In Jesus' name, to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.